Hi, and welcome to another episode of But Have You Heard About? I'm your host, Courtney, as always. And today I'm doing another solo episode because, well, it's my podcast and I do whatever I want. But I wanted to actually kind of focus on something that's been in the news recently or a lot more recently, and especially in the past year with Asian American hate and the fact that it's rampant now, but this is not the first time that there's been discrimination against those of Asian heritage, especially considering that we know about the Chinese Exclusion Act that had a 10-year ban on immigrants from China. It was the first time we had a ban based on ethnicity alone in the U.S. when it came to immigration. I kind of want to talk more before the Exclusion Act because that wasn't actually the first. There actually was the Page Act, which laid the groundwork for the Chinese Exclusion Act. And I want to give a little bit of some fact-based stuff before we get into that and talking more about that. So the start of Chinese immigration to the United States, specifically over to California, was in the 1840s with the discovery of gold. It was mostly lower class individuals in China that were more than happy to come over and try to strike it rich because they had issues going on in China, including there being a drought, upheaval, and the fact that they just want to have a better life, just like what was going on with the Irish potato famine around the same time. However, the Irish didn't get this fun treatment. From the 1840s through the 1850s, railroad companies actively recruited Chinese men as laborers. In 1852, in San Francisco, there was a noticeable Chinese population, with only 19 of the 2,954 Chinese residents were women. So you already have this disproportionate of more men than women of Chinese descent, and I would go ahead and just say of Asian descent, in the United States, specifically over there on the West Coast. And it didn't really get any better. We're going to talk about that, but again, I want to lay down some stuff. So that's, that's my fun fact. So with the growth of Chinese immigrants specifically coming over to be laborers in the growing economy over in California, specifically around San Francisco, the California state legislator, they assumed that these Chinese men were being forced to work under long-term service contracts when they were here, when in reality, these coolies, which is a horrible word I learned about. So if you didn't know what a coolie was, A coolie basically is in reference of kind of like when you think of indentured servants from Europe. It's almost the same terminology, but used for Asians, specifically a lot of Southeastern Asians, especially those from India, and how they would go and be laborers in a lot of the British colonies. And well, not just the colonies, but anywhere in the United Kingdom. But since the 20th century, which we're not really going to talk much about the 20th century, the word coolie has been used in the South Asian region to refer to porters at railway stations. It's also now regarded as a derogatory and or racial slur in the Americas, more so the Caribbean, Oceania, Africa, and Southeast Asia, in reference to other people from Asia. So again, by the 1850s, you have about 25,000 Chinese immigrants. And again, the vast majority are men. They're over here as laborers because they could only pay for one ticket to come over, knowing that there is a booming industry, specifically in San Francisco of textiles, that they're like, okay, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to pay back the person who got me over here. It's in the same regards as those 
nowadays, if you're coming from south of the border through Mexico, that you might find a coyote or a coyote who would you would then pay to get you across and you may have long-term interest fees. And that is where this stereotype, while definitely true in a lot of cases, that Asians are harder working, they'll work long hours and they'll undercut individuals for pay. But in reality, it's because they need a job so they can pay back the loan they took out and also support their families over in China to then build up money to either bring them over or go back so they have a stable life. And even though there was a huge boom in European and Asian immigrants coming over to the United States seeking to improve their economic well-being, the Chinese immigrants were regarded as the bigger threat, mostly in regards to the fact that they were a threat to a pure white America. Because again, this is 1850s. We don't have the Civil War going on yet. So you still have that hierarchy that if you are from Europe and you're white, obviously you must be better. And having these Chinese laborers come over, a lot of Americans, especially with Manifest Destiny and having this railroad eventually finished and being able to have people go and find that quote unquote better life on the West Coast, even with the Oregon Trail and stuff, you have this idea that these Chinese laborers, because they're going to work for less wages, which I already said why they wouldn't do that, that puts this derogatory image in a lot of Americans, specifically European Americans, that are upset that they're being undercut. And they look at them as though they are being treated as slaves, but they're in California. Many Chinese were depicted as disease threat, with a lot of anti-Chinese rhetoric hinging on portraying Chinese people as filthy and disease-ridden. They were also seen as religious and moral threat as heathens who threatened a Christian America. One of the other reasons, and we're going to get into the Page Act, which is what I originally wanted to talk about in depth, but I was like, we got to talk about how we got to where the Page Act comes in during this time. The cultural differences between what is going on in Europe and what is vastly practiced in America versus Asia is so different that the very first woman from China to actually make it to the US, she went to New York, and I'm totally going to butcher her name because I'm horrible with any and all names, but Afang Moi, who was the first Chinese woman in America, she helped sell Chinese goods. And basically her manager, the person in charge of making sure that she came over was like, okay, we're going to show these Chinese goods and you, because you're a Chinese woman, you look exotic. You're going to be able to portray and help us sell these goods. So it was a money thing, not for her, because those were her employers. And she, as a woman, didn't really have much say. And, you know, during the 17 years that she had a prominent portrayal in America, her treatment varied. She came in 1834, recognized as the first Chinese woman to immigrate basically to the U.S. And the first part of her time that she was in the U.S., she helped sell things. She had bound feet. She had the Chinese clothing. She also brought accessories with her. And it was mostly to promote those goods. In the later 1830s, she made a transition from a promoter of goods to that of kind of a spectacle. If you know me on a personal level and we've ever had a conversation about zoos or even about national parks, those things were created because of the things inside of being weird, not necessarily for preservation. Now we look at it as preservation, but it was weird. Circuses are not to show you these spectacular things, but to show the weird. And it makes sense reading this now that she eventually gets linked up with P.T. Barnum. If you know about P.T. Barnum, the greatest showman is not very, like it's accurate, but not accurate whatsoever. He had a vision. He was also kind of a horrible person. But he enlisted her to go around with them for years. And people would make horrible comments about her while she was traveling with them. And she was just an oddity. And because she was odd, most people had never seen anyone of Asian descent. And they would 
you know, associate different things that they'd heard in the newspaper. Because if you're reading things from over in California by the 1840s, they're talking about this surge invasion of Chinese immigrants coming over. And then you see her, you start thinking it's coming to your local town. And if you don't have social media back in the 1800s, as we very well know, you can't even fact check it. You have to go off of what newspapers are telling you. And journalism at the time, you still have scandalous journalism and not telling complete truth journalism as well. Some of the things that they did when she was going around P.T. Barnum was showing how she used chopsticks to the demonstration and kind of explanation of Chinese religious rituals. And she did learn some English enough that she could converse with the audience, but she would still need an interpreter from time to time. And the fact that she was able to learn English blows my mind because I can't learn another language to save my life. But even though Thong Moy was going around and giving these presentations, the public began to form some stereotypical views of Chinese and those of Chinese descent as being backwards, arbitrary, undemocratic, and sometimes even cruel. And she would get a lot of arrogant responses from the audience whenever she was doing her shows, and she would just keep doing them. Like her bound feet and clothing in the customs of her Chinese womanhood called forth contrary definitions of American womanhood. Her religious beliefs, which were often characterized as heathen, gave rise to responses from moral reformers and other Christians, which is why in the late 1800s and early 1900s, you see a huge rise of this Christian reform of wanting to convert um, as many Asian um, immigrants as possible to Christianity because they see it as such a sin that how could you? Also, her explanation of the Chinese emperor's absolute power and governance compelled a contrast with American republicanism and its emphasis on virtue, self-government, education, and self-control. And the fact that she's over here presenting you know, China's ancient ways reinforced that America was on such a huge road to progress in the public's eye whenever they would meet her. And so even though Afong Moi was able to present education about the differences between China and America at the time, especially in an educational setting, as she sometimes was able to do, whether going to, to like a salon at the time, not like a modern day salon, she wasn't getting her hair done, but going to a salon at the time to educate those that wanted to be educated in the public sphere and helping those learn. But as a woman, especially with bound feet, she was unable to really move. She was unmarried. And she really had to rely on her managers, whenever, whomever it was, to take care of her because she couldn't walk on her own very much, which is one of the issues with bound feet and having those tiny feet. So you have this depiction of a Fong Moi and she's over here educating the public, doing all that she is. But women of Chinese or Asian descent were perceived as a particular type of threat, specifically a sexual one. And they were stereotyped as promiscuous as well as prostitutes. So if you were unmarried as an Asian woman in America, you were considered a prostitute. While yes, there were some prostitutes that were Asian or of Asian descent living in America, they were singled out by their white peers. And worst part of it is that these women, whether they were part of the sex industry or were sex workers, they were portrayed as spreading sexually transmitted diseases and they were used as scapegoats. Sadly, that stereotype stuck throughout time, especially like in the 1800s, and it passed along that wound up having an STI, you must have gotten it from a Chinese woman, or that's where you would say you got it from. When in all honesty, it's not really true. A lot of Americans started associating germs and disease with China, which again, you can relate to present time. And while you're having these stereotypes depicted in the news and, you know, journalism at the time, we even have a sitting president. So you have Grant over here, who's quoted as saying, you know, during the passage of the Page Act, 
While this is being done, I invite the intention of Congress to another, though perhaps no less than evil, the importation of Chinese women, but few of whom are brought to our shores to pursue honorable or useful occupations, meaning that they are here as prostitutes. Another thing is that they assume that most Chinese men, when they were bringing women over, it was their second wife. It wasn't their first wife because during the 16th century, I do believe that is when polygamy was allowed. But the only reason polygamy was in any way allowed was to continue on a bloodline. You had, if you had brothers and they didn't all have sons to pass on their name, then they could pick a nephew. And so you wanted to make sure that you had the ability to have offspring. Obviously, it's not legal then, but they use it as a huge ploy when talking about the Page Act and why I'm wanting to push that in 1875, which if you know anything about American history, especially with religion, you know that Mormons have been around for about 40 years by now, or over 40 years. And one of the things that Mormons embraced by 1830 was polygamy. So to say that one of the reasons you didn't want Chinese women coming to this country was because of polygamy and the fact that it's immoral and somehow we've become a Christian nation by this point with all of these very religious people and the ref- and the reform that was going on. I mean, that religious sector eventually does win with prohibition. So we know that it's there. We know that's a very strong voice. But to say that the only reason that Chinese women are coming over is because of polygamy or because they are prostitutes is wrong. And because you aren't having women come over in the same percentage amount as men, men can't marry outside their race in most Western states. If you were white, you couldn't marry a woman who was black or Mexican. And so as a Chinese man, you led this bachelor life. So yeah, you might have hung out with prostitutes at some point because it's, you know, it's life. And no one can vault you for hanging out with prostitutes when your family might live literally across the ocean. And so with the Page Act of 1875, it is the beginning roots to Chinese exclusion. And we tend to think of immigration law as involving questions of national boundaries, security, and identity, and aimed at regulating labor. In the Page Law, women are treated either as auxiliary to their male counterparts or weirdly as equivalents. And then this started the regulation of marriage in the family with immigration law. So women basically were targeted If you couldn't have women come over, you couldn't have this growth of Chinese culture either. But also you have all these stereotypes. Again, you have these Chinese bachelors that are going around working and they're working for less wages because they need to pay the person who brought them over. They have to send money back home. They have to have money for here. They'll work those long hours, whatever it takes to get the money and the amount of money they need in a week. So yeah, they would undercut, but that's also how a lot of business works, especially in the 1800s where you don't have as many regulations. So on paper, in the Page Act of 1875, it was prohibited the recruitment of laborers from China, Japan, or any Oriental country who were not brought to the United States of their own will or who were brought for lewd and immoral purposes. Again, that would include prostitution. So if you were coming over specifically to be a prostitute, and it explicitly forbid the importation of women for the purposes of prostitution. In practice, it was used as a way to prevent Chinese women from migrating to the United States It left the decision as to whether or not to permit an individual's entry to the United States up to the council general, wherever they were immigrating, whatever port city that may be. 
Under this act, many Chinese women who were attempting to immigrate, they were subjected to invasive and humiliating interrogations by the U.S. immigration officials. And because of this and word going back home, those women who weren't going to be prostitutes or these second wives and they wanted to come join their husband and they wanted to start a family here or have the family here, they would have to go through basically leaps and bounds and hoops. And when the word got back, no one wanted to do that. They didn't want to be intimidated. They didn't want to be humiliated, especially when they didn't speak, you know, the same language. So you couldn't even have that many interpreters there either. And it was just not a good feeling for anyone all around. Just for some numbers, in the early 1870s, there were roughly 78 Chinese women per 1,000 Chinese men in the U.S. After the passage of the Page Act, that number dropped to 48 women per 1,000 men. And like, as I already mentioned, if you're not allowing women to immigrate alongside their partners, whether they're married or not, these male laborers that were here from China or any other part of another Asian country were unable to create families, let alone set down roots in America. Instead, many sought to earn money and then return over to China to rejoin their families. And because of that bachelorhood lifestyle they had while they were here alone, many of them were portrayed as driftless and it enhanced the view they shouldn't be full Americans. And basically, it justified later on Chinese Exclusion Act. And one of the reasons this is such a huge thing and such an issue is that there really were no laws like this specifically targeted toward European women. And it set up a lot of the immigration law that we look up now and that the fact that immigration law focuses so much on the family and the fact that, you know, we want to have this moral idea of a family and marriage in the U.S. But again, we birth Mormons and polygamy within Mormonism in the United States. And that was able to happen. And they were able to hide it for the most part, but to use that as one of the reasons to not have immigration when we had open borders up until then is kind of telling and kind of weird. The Page Act set a precedent for discriminating against any specific group of immigrants, you know, placing quotas on certain ethnic groups, prohibiting the entry of individuals with mental disorders, physical disabilities, and members of the LGBT community. So if you ever go back and read anything from Ellis Island, you can see that there's huge disparities of those that came over if they had any sort of illnesses. And it's not that they couldn't have been treated here, or even if they had family here, if you had money and you were able to bring someone over, you were favored more than someone who didn't. It's just a repeat of history. So this Page Act, again, set up for the Chinese Exclusion Act, which followed a few years later. Even before the Page Act, Asian men or women were not allowed to testify in a trial if it was against someone that was white. So they weren't even allowed the same due process. So again, when people try to say that, you know, oh, certain ethnicities had it bad, I really think that we need to look at, you have slavery and you also have a huge um, amount of barriers and discrimination against those immigrating from Asia. And while those are completely different, you have those that are choosing to come versus those that are forced to come or those born into slavery. I'm basically trying to say that there are some similarities because the discrimination that was put on toward those of Chinese or Asian descent over in California before the end of the Civil War helped to base a lot of laws that were used kind of in Jim Crow. So if you look at how Jim Crow laws happened, they had a lot of laws in the state of California. Granted, a lot of them were knocked down by federal courts, mostly because of a treaty that the U.S. had with China at the time, but it wound up being reworked under, I believe it was Hayes, good old Hayes president, that allowed for more discrimination against Chinese individuals and that's also how we got to where we are with the Exclusion Act. So I definitely feel like this was a lot of rambling and there's a lot more ramifications 
that came from the PAGE Act. And it didn't bolster the community that a lot of other ethnicities had. And the fact that many from Asia, didn't matter where in Asia they were from, they were called Chinese because those were the predominant um, first immigrants to come over. And if you're from Europe, you might have the ability to tell someone's French accent versus their Scottish accent. But if you're from Europe, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between somebody from Japan, China, Vietnam, Korea. Those very different cultures would all be lumped together. And it's not fair to anyone to have, you know, things just lumped together in that sense. And if you notice in the wonderful description, I linked a very long, but it's really not that bad of a read article that talks about kind of the after effects of the Page Act needs to be looked at more through a scholarly eye, especially when it comes to immigration and the purpose it played on future immigration when it came to having those barriers. And also, I strongly suggest reading more about Fang Moi, even though she didn't have any memoirs. You can read about people who met her or saw her perform and, you know, her interactions. But again, it must not have been a very fun life, you know, being unmarried and having to depend on people that would not have your best interest at heart, which P.T. Barnum did not have, you know, the people in his show's best interest at heart. And another reason that the Page Act is so important is that the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was passed in 1882, built upon the Page Act of 1875. You know, with the Chinese Exclusion Act, it banned the immigration of, it prohibited all immigration of Chinese laborers. Didn't matter if you're a man, didn't matter if you're a woman, did not matter. 10 years. You know, and while I said it's lasted for 10 years, it was renewed and strengthened in 1892 by the Gary Act and made permanent in 1902. These laws attempt to stop all Chinese immigration to the United States for 10 years, with exceptions for diplomats, teachers, students, merchants, and travelers. The laws were widely evaded. And finally, the Exclusion Act was repealed by the Magnuson Act on December 17th of 1943, which allowed 105 Chinese to enter per year. Chinese immigration later increased with the passage of the Immigration and National Act of 1952, which abolished direct racial barriers, and later by the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, which abolished the national origins formula. So immigration in this country is hotly contested and is, will always be a hot-button issue, especially when you're talking about politics and reform and policies. But to know that the first type of immigration reform, not even reform, but ban was against those of Asian descent, and then they were ridiculed not only for the beliefs that they had coming over, but that, you know, they weren't adapting to a Western enough and they would just leave. Well, of course they would leave. You wouldn't allow them to bring a wife over. And you assume that all women were prostitutes and all considered, and all women apparently had STIs that were of Chinese origin or Asian origin. Of course, I do would feel offended and not want to hang out in your country. There were those that did become entrepreneurs and did start businesses, especially um, if you ever want to look at the history of Chinatowns throughout the U.S., especially the history of Chinatown in San Francisco, because they had one of the most heaviest populations of Chinese immigrants. But all in all, I wanted to talk about the fact that Asian hate in this country didn't start a year ago. It also happened during World War II when we literally put our own American citizens, no matter how many generations they had been there, into internment camps for their own protection. And it didn't matter if you were Japanese, Chinese, as long as you looked like an Asian, you were put in these camps. We have people who survived those camps that are still living today, and nobody wants to talk about it because you felt lesser than because you were put in these camps. You can almost relate it to going to prison where people don't want to talk about it because it really was like a prison. Like, yeah, you had your own camps, you had your own communities, but because America won World War II or was part of the winning side in World War II, a lot of documentaries 
aren't as prevalent about it as there are those during the Holocaust and what happened. You also have the fact that many laborers from um, any Asian origin that were working on the railroad, while they were, you know, 90 plus percent of the workers that helped build the railroad in this country, they were never given that respect. And many of them were not allowed to be U.S. citizens. And it's just, it's disheartening to know that this is still continuing. And if you want to find out more about how you can help stop Asian hate, there's going to be some links in the description of this podcast. Please check them out. If you have questions, you know, do your research and don't always expect those of the descent of what you are asking questions of. Don't expect an Asian person to explicitly have to tell you about the history of Asian hate in this country or discrimination. Don't expect a Black person to tell you about the discrimination that Black people feel and have felt in this country as well. Don't expect a Mexican-American to come out and tell you about the hate that they have felt or the terms and names that they've been called. You, especially if you are white, go do your research. We have a privilege. We have this wonderful thing called Google. You have a phone. Use it. And as I say, have a phone, use it. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I hope you guys learned something. I learned what a coolie was and that it's a horrible derogatory term that is still used today. So don't use it. And I learned about the Page Act because uh, I was going to do the Chinese Exclusion Act and talking about and the discrimination that Chinese Americans, as well as any of those from Asian descent, because they were all called Chinese up when they came over, unless they could somehow distinguish, which many of them couldn't. And the fact that Page Act was against, you know, women and this being Women's History Month might as well bring it out for the masses. So with that, as always, I'm Courtney. Thank you for listening to But Have You Heard About? And I hope you have a fabulous day. Hope you learned something. Bye!